churches, well, before we get into that, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer. I've been now doing this gig for about 21 years, and I've never not been able to finish a sermon. I don't know that I'll be able to finish today. I was looking over my notes. Wife was gone this week, and I may or may not have wrote this sermon sitting at my kitchen table after I had put the kids to bed, and I might have been sipping on a brown liquid while I was putting it together. And as I looked at my notes this morning, it's a lot of stuff. It's good stuff. It's biblical stuff. But this might be part one of today's sermon. We might finish it next Saturday. Or next, it's going to be one of those days. We might finish it next Sunday. We're in a series called In This House, and we're just doing a gut check on what makes Action Church Action Church. We started this church with a very clear vision. We were not interested in doing church like everyone else was doing because the reality is we looked out across the churches and we thought the church was broke. Church attendance in America has been in decline and the churches that are growing have become these nice, sterile, safe places. But as I look at the Bible, I don't see nice and I don't see sterile and I don't see stay. Uh, the church has gotten a little bit too clean, if you will. But as you go back to the book of Acts and you begin to read at the early church, it was everything and anything but a bunch of people who had it all together. God looked out and he began to choose people and he began to add people to the church. And what you see is a bunch of crazy, dirty, messed up people who changed the world. Let me repeat that because only three of you seem to got it today. Let's pause for a minute. Let's pull a Mr. Rogers for a minute. My feet were cold this morning. I feel restricted. I don't think I can preach with these shoes on. They're making me feel weird. I need to feel the ground. But I thought I put some shoes on. It's not working for me. You seem to be dead. I seem to be off my game. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to repeat that for one second. When I look through the New Testament and I see the early church, I see a bunch of messed up, dirty screwed up, crazy people who changed the world. God is not looking for the most qualified. God is looking for the most available. And today the church has become safe. It has become a business and we have neutered, if you will, the power of the church and we wonder why the church is not having an impact in the community. Somebody asked me this question one time, and it really got me thinking about churches. They said, if your church was to close down tomorrow, would anybody besides the people who attend your church even notice the church is closed down? Meaning, are you truly making an impact in the community? Are you reaching out to the least of these? Are you providing a place for those that are broke, busted, and disgusted to come in and feel safe and hear about a God who loves them and has a plan for their life and wants to do great things in their life? Churches are dying, yet the need for connection is stronger than ever. So we're in a series where we're just kind of reiterating, if you will, our convictions. Last week I talked about the fact that when you come to Action Church, you will find no judgment at Action Church. No judgment. We don't care about the color of your skin. We don't care about your sexual preference. We don't care about your social standing. Our job is to love people, and our job is to love people right where they are. 
It's amazing. That sounds really good, and it sounds like it's fun to preach, and it sounds really biblical, and it sounds like something would amen, but you'd be shocked at how many churches preach that but don't live it out. This week, I want to look at another value that was very important to me when we started Action Church. It was very important to me. And there's just some hills I'll die on, if you will. There are some things that I feel strongly about, but at the end of the day, man, I'm not going to fight you over those things. But there's some things that I will die on. I'll die over the fact that we're going to be a judgment-free zone. The second thing I want you to know is just very important to the principles and the DNA of Action Church is simply this. You can be who you are. You can be who you are. We're not trying to change you. We're not trying to make you into something else. Most churches get up and they preach and I've been in and they say, come as you are. As long as you're like us. Hence why the most segregated place in America is the church on Sunday morning. It's my hobby horse. Most churches all look the same. They look like whatever's on the stage. You have the white church and the black church and the Spanish church and the rich church and the poor church and, and whatever it is in the skateboarding church and now they got cowboy church and all these different churches and I think it's great. But at the end of the day, we're going to be real disappointed when we get to heaven and we realize there's not a cowboy section of heaven. And there's not a black section of heaven. There's not a white section of heaven. And you've heard me say it before, a lot of people are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and I show up. Because I don't feel like I've been good enough to get the mansion. But I have asked God to put my trailer right around all the mansions. I have specifically, boy, this is going to be the most unchristian thing that I have ever said in my life. And I try not to take shots. Syphilis, I'm at a wrestling show. But I pray specifically, God talks about specific prayers. I pray all the time that my trailer ends up right next door to the mansion of a certain pastor in this town that took over a church I used to pastor. Just where every day when I walk out of my wife beater in my boxer to the mailbox, I made it! I'm here. You can come and be who you are. It's a very important value to me. Probably one of the biggest struggles people have in life is being themselves. Isn't that crazy? One of the biggest struggles in life that people have is being themselves. Very few people, for whatever reason, are comfortable in their own skin. We so have this need to be accepted by other people that we transform ourselves into whatever clique we've joined at the time. That isn't the way God designed us. Let me make this very clear to you. God did not create you to be another blank. Insert whoever it is that you think you want to be like. God shaped you and he molded you and he formed you and he created you to be you. Always kills me when couples get together in relationships and they start trying to change the other person. Always kills me when guys feel like they're fixing the girl. Listen, Jack, you're fixing nobody. Bible says in Psalms 139, I praised you. This is David speaking. Because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know he says, God, 
You made me the way I am. You created me in my inner being. You are, don't miss this. You are an amazing miracle that God created. The same God who spoke the universe into existence loved you so much that he shaped you and he formed you. There's nobody else like you. If you could unravel your body like a ball of yarn, there'd be enough DNA string to reach the moon and back 10,000 times. That DNA makes you who you are. Right now, as you sit in your seat, a hundred things are happening in your body and you don't give it a second thought. You're breathing, digesting, growing new cells, purifying toxins, maintaining hormonal, well, some of you are maintaining hormonal balance. You're converting stored energy from blood to fat. You're you're repairing damaged cells. There's six, don't miss this, there's six trillion reactions taking place in every cell every second. Your heart will pump 100,000 times a day in every cell and every second. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. Touch your nose. That's pretty simple, wasn't it? That simple act, it wasn't simple for some of you last night, (laughs) but it was simple today. That simple act required 400 separate chemical reactions firing across 10,000 synopsis. Think about that for a minute. That's how unique you are. Every single one of us start off as an original, but we become carbon copies of someone else. And no place is that greater seen than the church. The church brings people in and we want you to look like us and act like us and talk like us and believe like us and speak like us and think like us and have political views like us and love who we love and do what we do. And if you don't like it, man, you're against us and you've got to go. And that's simply not the God way God created the church to be. We're the body of Christ. It takes every single one of us and our individuality to make that body. Some of you are the hands and some of you are the fingers and some of you are the ears and some of you are the mind and some of you are the mouth and some of you are the toes and some of you are you're the ass and we love you for it because you got to have the ass because the ass lets you get rid of the toxins. you got to have it. That's why we keep you around. It takes all of us to make the church what it should be. If the church has missed out on that. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, there's a time in every man's education that he arrives at the conviction that imitation is suicide. He must take himself for better or for worse. He said, he said, he said there comes a time where you look in the mirror and you realize trying to be something you're not is literally killing you because it comes unnatural to you. You must take yourself for better or for worse. So my question to you today is, is do you really know who you are? We're going to look at one of the most famous examples in the Bible, and i got to give you a lot of breakdown to get you to the point of where we're in the sermon today. I'm going to try to get through this as quick as possible, and if we don't, we'll finish it next week. But I'm going to look at today a guy named Moses. Moses was single-handedly the greatest leader in the Old Testament. Probably the second greatest leader behind Jesus who ever lived. He's the guy who set the Jews free from 400 years of slavery. If it wasn't for Moses, there'd be no nation of Israel today. This is the guy who God personally gave the Ten Commandments. 
I'd say he's pretty high up the chain. He's the guy who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all written by Moses. History would look entirely different had there been no Moses. But Moses came along, and in order to be the person that Moses was created to be, don't miss this, he had to realize who he truly was. Because Moses was put in a situation where he could choose to live a lie or he could be exactly who God created him to be. Here's the story of Moses. The Jews have been slaves to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. Apparently all the Jews could do was work and have sex. As a result of having sex, they were having a lot of kids. Happens. Pharaoh began to get nervous. They were having so many kids. Man, he thought, man, they're going to outnumber us soon. When they outnumber us, they'll take us over. So Pharaoh set out a decree that every male-born child had to be killed. Horrible man. Every time a Jew had a son, the son was killed. Moses is born. His parents decide, man, they see something special in their son. And their mother says, I'm not about to kill my son. So she comes with a plan. Don't ever deal with a woman who has a plan. Huh. So she weaves a basket for the baby. And she says, I'm going to take my baby and I'm going to put him in the basket. I'm going to put him out by the Nile River. She goes, I would rather take the risk of somebody finding him and having a chance to live than waiting for them to knock on the door and kill my baby. So she puts Moses, this baby, she puts him in the basket, puts him in the Nile River, but she's smart. She puts him right where she knew Pharaoh's daughter bathed every day. Pharaoh's daughter goes out to the Nile River to begin to bathe. She hears a baby crying. She sees Moses laying in the basket. She takes Moses into her home as her own. You realize that Moses' life started as a basket case? That should be hope for some of you guys out there. You say, man, I'm a basket case. There's probably hope for you to be a great leader then. She takes this little baby she raises this baby like it's her own. She pretends it's her baby. He's not an Egyptian baby. He's a Hebrew baby. But Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm taking this baby, and I'm going to pretend he's mine, and I'm going to love him like he's mine. I'm going to raise him like he's mine. And Moses the Hebrew, Moses becomes Egyptian royalty. He has the finest education. He has everything money can buy. And in the process, Moses goes through a period of losing his identity. Suddenly, the Hebrew person who's born into slavery is in the mansion. He's in the, he's in the castle. He, he's a person of importance. And it becomes a story of lost identity, confused identity, missing identity. And it's a story of how Moses rediscovered who he truly was. And in the process, changed his life. And in the process, changed the lives of all the Hebrews as they were set free. There's all kinds of lessons in the story of Moses. I really should do a whole series on Moses. He's that pimp. But we're going to kind of focus on this aspect today. The Bible says this in Hebrews 11. By faith, sometimes you just got to operate by faith. And there, I'm going to try not to get sidetracked. There's so much truth in these verses. I'm like you could preach right there on that phrase, by faith. They didn't know the outcome. You always want to know the outcome. Sometimes you've got to step out by faith. Focus, Gary. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. 
because they saw he was no ordinary child. Check it out. Check it out. A little sermonette again. They saw something special in their child. I don't know what happened to your child if you actually saw something special in them instead of everything they did wrong. Oh, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. And they were not afraid of the king's etiquette. By faith, there it again. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he discovers who he is. He discovers that he's a Hebrew child. He discovers that his mom brought him in. His life. By faith, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated. He left the lush life of a lie to go to live the life of who he really was. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God than rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. That's a whole other sermon right there. Some of you are living today instead of looking ahead to what could be. We've got that financial class coming. That's the problem with some of you why you would never get your finances in order. You're looking at today instead of ahead. Mm-hmm. I think we'll come back and preach through this one day. By faith, he left Egypt. Three times by faith. Three times not knowing what the outcome would be. Not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He, he persevered because he kept his eyes on God. Man, there's, oh, that's thick. That's rich Bible right there. But I want to focus on one aspect of it today. Moses discovering his unique identity. Moses discovering, I don't belong in this palace when my people are enslaved. I have a purpose and I have a calling and I'm willing to leave this to go pursue the greater. I'm going to be who I am. No one's going to understand it. Everybody's going to think I'm crazy. Even probably the people I'm trying to help are going to be like, why are you doing this? But I know who I am and when you know who you are, It affects us in a lot of ways. So my question today is, who are you? And why is that important? It's important because it's going to unveil some things to you. It's important that people come to this church and discover who they truly are because nobody deserves to live a lie. Nobody deserves to have to live a life worried that if who they are, people around them won't like it or they won't be accepted. You come through these doors, I don't care who you are, what you are, what you believe, anything, you're loved and you're accepted because God loves us and accepts us just like we are. We love to judge others. We kind of love to look down at other people's dirt. and We're like covered in mud. But it's so important. Here's why. First of all, I want you to know something. Knowing who I am show spiritual maturity. Knowing who I am shows spiritual maturity. Growing up, guess what Moses did? The Bible doesn't say he did this, but he did it because everybody does it. He asked all the questions that everybody else in the world asked. I ask them. You ask them. We all ask these questions. Who am I? Where, where, where did I come from? Where am I going? Does my life even matter? Does my life have meaning? So the number one question people ask themselves is, what is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is life all about? Those are identity questions. 
They're the most important questions in your life, actually. They're questions that everybody should answer. What did God put me on this planet for? We all ask these questions, and don't miss this. There's nothing wrong with asking those questions. But there comes a time in everyone's life, you've got to grow the hell up and answer the question. people in their 60s and their 70s still answering that question. You know why? Because they're spiritually immature. There's people in their 40s asking that question. There comes a time in your life if you're going to be who God created you to be and who God wants you to be, you finally have to man up and answer the question. This is my purpose in life. This is my calling in life. Look what Hebrews 11 says, by faith. He didn't know the outcome of it, and that's the problem. Some of you won't step out to your purpose and your calling because you don't know what's going to happen as a result of it. You don't need to know the next step. God knows the next step. He says in Isaiah, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. You want to see around the bend, and God said, just follow me, man. I'm like Steve Irwin. I got my bushwhacker. I'm hacking. I'm clearing out the path. If you saw what was up ahead, you turn around. Trust me, I'm going to clear it out for you. You gotta be spiritually mature. You gotta answer that question. Question I'm asking right now is what is all over this stage sticky? I don't even want to know. Knowing my identity is life changing. It demonstrates maturity, spiritual maturity. When Moses grew up, he refused to live a lie anymore. The road to spiritual maturity is the road to personal identity. You've got to figure it out. What, what that means is the closer you get to God, the more you're going to understand yourself. Because God is the creator. The more you understand the creator, the more you understand why he created you. I don't know what my purpose is. Get closer to God. Gary, I've been struggling. I keep asking myself this over and over. Get closer to God. How's your walk with God? The closer you are to the creator, the more you'll realize why you were created. There has to come a time where you stop asking the questions and you start living the purpose. Moses got to this point. By faith, he realized, man, I'm not supposed to be Pharaoh's grandchild. I'm not supposed to be living this lifestyle while the people of my descendants are out there in slavery. My job is to be the one who sets them free. (laughs) We've got Moses here. He's in a full-scale identity crisis. Here's a guy that's born as a Hebrew slave, the poorest of the poor, no clout, no influence. We've been having problems all day. Xander, if you want to, you can just turn that off, man, because that's going to distract me, and I'm going to pick this chair up and throw it through the wall. You couldn't get any further. We had to go pick Xander up today. Church can't even run without Xander. Yeah. What the hell's wrong with this place? Born into the lowest of the low. Yet by the grace, maybe? He's now in the palace. He's a rich Egyptian. He's asking himself, am I, am I this slave boy or am I this rich Egyptian? He's got an identity crisis going on. He's got to decide, am I going to live a lie? Don't miss this. 
am I going to live a lie and pretend the rest of my life that I'm really Pharaoh's grandson? He could pretend. And guess what he gets by pretending? Money, luxury, fame. You're Pharaoh's grandson. You get whatever you want. Every pleasure he could ever want in life, power, possession, position, privilege, status, sex, salary, anything he wants by not being true to himself. On the other hand, if he admits he really, who he really is and he admits he's the son of some Jewish slaves, he's gonna be poor his entire life. He's gonna be disgraced, humiliated, thrown out of the palace, put into slave labor for the rest of his life. Which one would you choose? Moses was a man of conviction. Once he realized who his identity was and his purpose it was, he didn't care about the outcome. He had to be true to himself. He was a man of integrity. He refused to live, I think, the saddest thing in the world. And I'm going to probably ruffle some feathers here. And you, some of you might not come back, but I, it is what it is. I think the saddest thing in the world who has to be someone who realizes maybe they have same-sex tendencies and yet has to live a lie and love someone they don't love for fear of what their job will think, their family will think, their kids will think, their friends will think. And so they live their whole life being something they're not because they're afraid of the outcome of what they could be if they just came out and were real about themselves. Sad. We'll never be a church where you have to do that. Never. I refuse. I'll shut it down first. You say, well, you can't shut that? Then I'll leave. You can find someone else. I don't really care. Like, I'm to the point in my life where I'm gonna do what I feel God's called us to do, and our job's to love people. And people can't be loved if they're not accepted just exactly how they are. So much stress in your life comes from not knowing who you are. When you don't know who you are, then you live for the expectation of others. You live for the approval of others. You live with the fear of rejection. You become a people pleaser because you don't know who you are. You become who your boyfriend wants you to be or your girlfriend wants you to be. I always love the Runaway Bride. I love Julia Roberts. Runaway Bride, that movie? Anybody? Anybody? Remember, every time she would meet a new guy, she would, what kind of eggs do you like? Whatever kind of eggs he liked. At the end of the movie, she finds herself, what kind of eggs do you like? I don't like eggs. She became who she was. She didn't care what he thought. <laughs> well, when you don't know who you are, you're immature, so you become who your parents want you to be, your husband wants you to be, your wife wants you to be. You become who the church expects you to be. Moses got to the point that when he grew up, he refused to fake his identity anymore. Knowing my identity, what it does is it it demonstrates spiritual maturity. It demonstrates spiritual maturity. When you begin to know who you are, congratulations, you're growing up. Be proud of yourself. I'm gonna give these to you over and over because I want you to remember since they're not up on the screen, you can't take pictures. The second thing is this, knowing who I am defines my responsibility in life. Knowing who I am defines my responsibility in life. Here's what I mean by that. Knowing who I am clarifies what God expects of me. It also clarifies what God doesn't expect of me. I've learned 
because I know who I am, that God doesn't expect me to be an opera singer. God doesn't expect me to be a worship pastor. If you've heard me sing, you would know why. One day when I stand before God, God's going to judge me on my deeds, but guess what? He's not going to judge me on my singing ability because I know who I am. When you know who you are, you know what talents he's given you and what talents he hasn't given you. Many of you have come to me before and I think I've offended you in the past. I don't mean to offend you. And you're like, hey, can I meet with you for counseling? No. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trained in counseling. I'm not skilled in counseling. What an insult to people who have that skill set. Just because you're too cheap and want to meet with someone for free, I'm not the person to meet with. I have a counseling philosophy. I call it the bridge philosophy. Build a bridge and get over it. You don't want to meet with me in counseling. Trust me. You will feel worse about yourself. It's not my skill set. But for the longest time, I thought because I was a pastor, I had to counsel people. You know why most pastors are so ineffective? I'll go ahead and tell you. Because they're expected to do everything. The pastor is expected to be a preacher, a teacher, a leader, a counselor, a person who loves kids, this, this, this. And the reality is you can't be all those things. I know who I am. You know why I do what I do around here? Because I know who I am. Why don't you come to prayer meeting? Why don't you come to the food pantry? Why don't you leave the... My calling is to teach on Sunday in a way where people can understand it. That's my calling. I know who I am. I do what I do. I didn't always do that forever. I almost killed myself in the past trying to be all things to all people and everything that everybody wanted me to be. It's not what I do. We have people here who does that. For whatever reason, Eileen has a heart for people who need food. Good for her. I'm, I'm so, I don't mean that smart, Ellen. Good for her. Robin and Tom and the whole crowd, Jan, that come on my, they have a heart to sit down and pray for people. Awesome. Speedy has a heart to do whatever needs to be done around here that no one else wants to do. Awesome. Again, it goes back to us being the body. When we're all knowing who we are and we all understand our purpose, because when you know who you are, it defines your responsibility in life, guess what happens? Nothing falls through the cracks around here because everybody's living out their responsibility that they're passionate about. God created you to do some things in life. And there's some things some of you should learn God did not create you to do. The reason so many people are, oh, this is good. This is good preaching right here. I hate that it's not on the screen. The reason so many of you are under stress is because you're trying to do everything. Wives, let me set you free today. Just because you're a female, just because you have a vagina, I said the proper term so I'm not being vulgar, does not mean that you have to be the only one that cleans your house, cooks dinner, takes care of the kids, does all these things that society says women should do. Here's the deal. If you cannot cook, don't cook. Your husband probably don't want to tell you that, but he's glad when you don't cook because you can't cook. We have all these things. Men, guess what? You have some responsibilities as a man. I believe that. I should do a series on that too. I've got a lot of series I should do stuff on. But you're trying to do everything. You're carrying the burden instead of realizing you've got a wife who's a partner. And you're trying to do all these things. 
instead of what you're good at because you don't know who you are, therefore you don't know your responsibilities. I always joke about this, but it works in this context. I met Christine. I told Christine, I said, let me go ahead and enlighten you on something. I don't fix stuff. I'm not going to fix stuff. I don't want to fix stuff. I don't want to learn how to fix stuff. I don't want tools. I don't care. Your dad can make fun of it. Your granddad can make fun of it. Your brother can take pot. I, not that they do that. I, was like, I don't care. You know why? Because I know who I am. I don't need to have a sizing validation, if you will, by fixing the toilet that's running nonstop. I call Scott Farley, who's skilled in that area because he knows who he is, and say, hey, guess what, my toilet won't stop running. And he comes and fixes it. You know how freeing that is? You know how much stress that takes off me? I call Doug Knight, Dave Clark, Alan, and I got a whole crew. Oh, man, glad you feel that way. I don't feel that way. Guess what? I got a whole lot less stress in my life than you do. There's not much I'm good at. There's a lot of times I preach sermons to you where I'm like, man, I'm not good at this and I struggle with you. And knowing who you are, this is probably one of my strongest areas in life. But it took me a long time to get here. It took me losing everything to get here. It took me blowing my life and burning out and crashing and burn because I was trying to be everything everybody wanted me to be. And I refuse to do that. The greatest thing you can do is be who you are because it defines your responsibility. When you're trying to do everything, God's going like, wait a minute, time out. I didn't ask you to take on that burden. When you take on more responsibility than God intended for you to have, there's a warning sign there. It's called worry. You begin to worry. Breathe. Hey, guess what? You don't need to be everybody's savior because you ain't a savior. You're responsible for what God made you to be. And when you know who you are, you know your responsibility. God custom made and planned all the events around Moses' life. Don't miss this, don't miss this. In order to prepare him for the task at hand. He had one task and one task only, set the people free from the Egyptians. He wanted Moses to be the national deliverer of Israel. So everything that happened in Moses' life was designed to set him up to do that. God didn't design Moses to be an artist. He didn't design him to be a rock star. He said, I want you to be this. And he planned it. And the way he planned it was he said, first, you're going to be born a Hebrew slave. And This is good. I'm going to sidetrack here for a minute because I had this thought this week. And he gave Moses' parents that created him because it took those two parents' DNA to create Moses. You know why you have the parents you have? Because they had the exact DNA God needed to make you. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because some of you are going to get set free today from a bad experience with your parents. God was more interested in making you who he needed you to be than your parents' parenting skills. Hmm. 
You might have had great parents. You might have had bad parents. You might have had indifferent parents. You might have had terrible parents. You might not even know your parents, but they're still your parents, and God chose them because only they could create you. And he told Jeremiah, I knew you in the womb, and I had a plan for you. God had a plan for your life before you were ever created. I don't understand why these people are my parents because they had to be your parents to create you. I don't know my, my biological dad. Matter of fact, saw my biological dad the first time six months ago when he died and since I was four. But you know why God brought him around? Because only him and my mom could create greatness. <laughs> I didn't need his parenting skills, but I needed his DNA. Some of you got a grudge towards your parents you don't understand, but you understand God needed you made. God needed you created. That's why the Bible says we're to honor our father. They may be a drunk, they may be in jail, but the Bible says we're to honor them because they had the DNA to create you. And once you realize who you are, it sets you up for your responsibility in life. So God planned this. He knew that Moses' parents were not going to raise him, but they had to create him. Man. Both of these things, it took, it took them, them creating Moses, it took Pharaoh's daughter taking Moses in for him to get in the, into the, the palace. You don't think that he learned all those leadership skills and the training in the palace? You don't think having the greatest education, the greatest leaders around him and all these military people showed him how to be the leader he was to set the captives free? He couldn't have done that as a slave. God knew what he was doing. Maybe you're here today and you weren't raised by your birth parents. Maybe you were raised by a stepdad or a stepmom. You didn't know either of your parents, a friend or whatever, but God chose them for you. All the crap you went through, all the stuff I've been through, I, I, people ask me all the time, do you regret it? I don't regret any of it. I don't mean that cocky. I don't mean that arrogant. But all of that put me here. All of that made me who I am today. I impact more people in the business world with the gospel of Jesus Christ than I did pastoring 1,500 people every week. All the time. God knew what he had to take me through to get me here. God took you through all your mess for your greatest ministry. And it's important for you to know who you are because it sets up your responsibility. You're responsible for what God made you to be. God custom made you. God customed all these plans around Moses' life. Man, when Moses finally learns his true identity, I'm not Pharaoh's grandson, I'm not even Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew. When fi Moses finally learns that, mm, he knows his responsibility. His responsibility is to set the captives free. Look what it says, Hebrews 11. I oh, can't look at it, just read, here, listen to me. He chose, Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fle fleeting pleasures of sin. Check this out. I had this thought too. There's so many thoughts. This is such a great verse. In verse 24, God chooses Moses. By faith, God chose Moses to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? In verse 25, he grows up and Moses chooses God. See, God called Moses for a purpose. But Moses had to get to the point in his life where he knew who he was and chose to follow his responsibility. God chose you to be born. But when you grow up, you've got to choose him. 
choose him by knowing who you are. Third thing, knowing who I am decides my priorities. Knowing who I am, you know why you need to know who you are? Because you need to know what's important. Knowing my true identity, it, it decides my priority. It helps me decide. It helps me know what to focus on, what to grow in. It lets me know this is what gets my attention and this is what isn't gets my attention. This is what I say yes to and this is what I say no to because I know who I am and I know my purpose and I'm not going to say yes to a bunch of stuff that distracts me. I'm going to say yes to my calling. Some of you don't know what to say yes to and what to say no to and you live with guilt of saying no because you don't know who you are. I say no all the time because I know my purpose and it helps me set my priorities. Moses looked out, he figured out who he was, saw all of his people in captivity and his priority became, I'm setting these people free. 11.26 says he, just, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward he knew his values. He knew what was important to him. Here's your homework this week. You need to go home and figure out what your values are. If I was to ask you, what do you value in life? Most of you couldn't tell me. I can tell you what I value quickly. First thing in my life, I value God. The thing, I need you to understand that. I value Jesus. I don't give a crap about religion. I value Jesus. The second thing is I value my family. Most of you get told no a lot. My family comes first. I never forget the time someone called me and they said, hey, can you meet with me on Saturday? I said, no, I have a meeting Saturday. Took my kids to the park Saturday and I guess this person drove by and just happened to see me at the park and they said, I'm pretty upset with you. I said, what are you upset with me for? You told me you had a meeting Saturday. I said, I did have a meeting Saturday. I saw you at the park with your kids. I said, it was the most important meeting I had all week. Sorry, it didn't fit into your plans. But you know why I could do that? Because I know my values in life. I know my values. Action church is the third value of my life. Some of you don't think that. That's okay. He's involved in this and this. And I'm involved in what puts food on my table, but this is my value. You know, I do this for free. I do it because I love you. I do it because I feel called here. I do it because I want to be here. Eat, sleep, and drink this place. Love it. It's my third value. Fourth value of my life is freedom. It's a value for me, freedom. I do not want to work a nine-to-five job. Nothing against it. I'm telling you my value. I don't want to work a nine-to-five job. I don't want to feel like I have to work for somebody else and answer questions for them, and I'm not going to bust my butt to make somebody else money, so I want freedom. I'm never going to be the guy who has a normal job. It's one of my values. I hate it. It's funny, Christine's granddad, he's so sharp, very well off, corporate America straight. He isn't, he, he can't, six years, he can't grasp what I do. You're 43. What do you think about doing with your life? Well, I do it. And I do it. And my fifth value is, man, I, I want to live life to the fullest. I don't ever want any regret. Why does he just go do this? Because I, I don't care. I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't care. I, I don't want to look in the mirror and be like, man, what, what if I'd have done that? What if I'd have tried that? What if I'd have taken that trip? I want to live life to the fullest. I got one shot at this thing. I'm going to milk this joker for everything it's worth. But you know why I can do that? Because I know who I am. It sets my priorities. My biffle over here, Alice. Couldn't be any different than me. The thought of Alice going and working for herself would literally give her a heart attack right now. You know why? Not because she's wrong. We have different values. She likes this security of going to that job every day. It's a good job. Boom. And you need a friend like that, like got that much power with the county. You know, it's good. That's why I keep her around. 
is she wrong and I'm right? No, we just have different values. Security is a value for, I, I would assume, if she was to do her inventory, security is a value for her. It's not a value for me. I don't care. I'll go live in a one-bedroom apartment with all five of my kids. I will, to be able to do what I want to do in life. That's important to me. That overrides possessions to me, security. I don't care. Most of you, though, can't even answer that question because you don't know your values. You see what I'm saying? So when you know who you are, it helps you set your priorities. It helps you set your values. <laughs> Man, Moses knew who he was, so his priority was he didn't care about. He didn't care about. He, he had the things that mattered to us all. He had popularity, Pharaoh's grandson. He had pleasure. When you're the king, grand, king's uh, grandson's, the king's grandson, you know, you get pleasure. Trust me. You're rolling deep. Possessions, he had everything he wanted. None of that stuff mattered to him. Because his values, when he found out he was a Hebrew child, he wanted to set the people free. He took God's purpose over popularity. He took priority in fulfilling God's purpose over pleasure. He took peace in living out his purpose over possessions. Verse 26 says, he looked ahead to his reward. His vision set his values. He was looking ahead to what was going to happen when he saw God. Long-term thinking, long-term vision. I think it was me and Tom Moe were talking before the service. Tom was talking about he's lived his whole life basically debt-free. You know why? Because he had long-term vision. Now he's retired. Now he's enjoying life. Now he can do what he wants to do. Because he had long-term vision. So many of you live in today and you're missing out on the future. I gotta move home. Knowing who I am determines my destiny. I gotta get done. Knowing who I am determines my destiny. Once Moses realized who he was, his life took a whole new direction. Change always starts in your mind with your identity. Once you figure out who you are, you can figure out what you're called to do. We want to change our circumstances. And God wants to change us. We're, we, we, we're excited about changing ourselves. We, we think, man, man, if I could just get away from this relationship, things would change. If I can just get away from this environment, I'd be happy. Man, if I just had a different job every, if I could just move away and start over. The problem is, is when you move, you take yourself. Wherever you go, there you are. And you don't know who you are. So you take all your baggage with you to the next relationship, to the next job, to the next city. We want to change our circumstances, but God says, I want to change you. I want you to discover who you are. God doesn't make junk. You know my favorite line? I say it 15 years now. You might have surprised mommy and daddy in the backseat of their car during their makeout session. You didn't surprise God. He shaped you, and he formed you, and he made you, and he has a passion and a mission for your life. You're on this earth for a purpose. The problem is you don't know who you are, so how can you know your purpose? By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. <laughs> Learning. Your true identity lets you go of the baggage of the past. Moses was able to let go of that. 
And it gives you the courage to walk into the future. I know who I am now. Every time I jump into a new thing, I've never worked. People say, you know anything about this? No. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. How are you going to do it? Well, why not? It's people. I'm in the people business. I know people. I have the courage to do it because, man, of who I am. You have the courage to do who you are, what you are, when you know who you are. The day you start being who God created you to be and quit worrying about everyone else is the day you'll change your life. I'm telling you it is one of the greatest things ever. And this needs to be a place where people can have that luxury. They can have that freedom to discover themselves. So this is a sermon about our church. I kind of talked about individuality. So real quickly, how do we become a church that creates an environment where people can come and be who they are? First thing we're going to do is we're going to realize it takes all types of people. It takes all types of people. You might not understand so-and-so, but trust me, they're going to minister to somebody here that you can't minister to. It takes all types of people. You arrogant person to think everybody should be like you. It's arrogance. It's really insecurity. It's what it really is, because you don't like who you are. But if everyone else was like you, it would validate your insecurity. It takes all types of people. It takes all types of skin colors, all types of social standings. I've always loved this church that I know that people that make six figures a year sit next to people that live in tents something powerful. I think it's going to look a lot like heaven. Someone told me one time, I said, you have a lot of black people in your church. You're not very diverse. I said, yeah, well, we live in Canton where it's 2.3% African-American, so we got about 2.3% African-American here. We look like our community. Now, things start to change and it becomes 50% African-American. This church all look 50% African-American. We've probably done a real poor job of reaching the Spanish, but the bottom line is I don't speak Spanish. So... We ought to find a Spanish pastor that come in here and have a service. We really want to live out the gospel. <laughs> Realize it takes all types of people. Except people. You know what's always crazy to me about like outcast? I'm an outcast. No, you're not, because everybody in your little clique looks just like you and acts like you. <laughs> I've always thought it's funny about biker gangs, you know. We had a lot of motorcycle gang people. We're rebels. No, you're not. Like, you all look the same and act the same. Like, what, rebels go against the grain. You have a matching patch. Like, ooh, y'all are real different. You know? Never understood that. You know? Except all types of people. Encourage people in their individuality. Encourage people. I have to do this with my kids. I have 737 children. And they're all different. They're all different. And none of them, well, except the one that's really biologically not mine, are anything like me. The ones that have my DNA, my, especially my two oldest, are nothing like me. And I've had to learn, Kristen, you say, you know what, you want to have a relationship with your kids? Get interested in what they're interested in. Oh, I thought they should probably get interested in what I'm interested in, like wrestling. 
and fighting and music. So she said, okay, well, how's that working out for you? Encourage people in their individuality. Embrace that they're different. The people in my life, it's funny, my inner circle, for lack of a better word, none of them are like me. We're all different. That's why it works. So we're going to realize that it takes all types of people. We're going to encourage people in their individuality. And then this is what we're going to do last of all. We're going to realize that we're better together. We're better together. If everybody in this church was like me, we'd be an ineffective church. We would be. We wouldn't do anything except stir the pot. It takes everybody. It takes a Phil. It takes an Alice. It takes a Jim. It takes a Robbie. It takes everybody. Because together we balance each other out. Someone told me one time recently, I said, man, I'm glad you've been coming to church. Yeah, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I don't really like your preaching. Thanks. But God, I love everything else here, so I'm gonna be active. Awesome. Guess what? We're doing our job. If they're only coming to hear me preach. They're in bad shape. I ain't Jesus. I can't save them. I love that. We have a lady that goes to church. She's been going to this church for five years. She tells me about once a year, you know, I still don't really like this church. You know, no. She serves. She's here every week. I'm not going to tell you who she is. She's here right now. But she said, it's the only church my husband would go to, and I am so thankful that my husband goes to church every week. She realizes we're better together. She realizes we were able to reach her husband. We're better together. We're going to realize it takes all types of people. We're going to encourage people in their individuality. And we're going to understand we're better together because in this house, people can be who they are. Let's pray.